I don't happen to think that I personally need a gun, but I will argue with my last breath that you have the right to have as many guns as you feel that you need. Would you want your neighbor to have surface-to-air uh, missiles or nuclear weapons, uh, given the government has those as well? Sure. Why not? Because <laughs> I don't so, want radiation. That, that's a level of, of chaos and anarchy I'm not quite ready for. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to episode 69 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in the glass. You can watch us live Tuesdays, 9.15 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com, and you can listen anytime wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. As usual, first up, we've got a casual priest to make her flying clergy wear. Based in Sweden, their clergy tops are tailored, modern, confident, stylish, very trendy. Um, head over to their website, casualpriest.com. And if you want a chance to win some free clergy apparel for yourself, if you are clergy or for someone else, leave a message on our casual priest hotline, 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. We'll take your messages. We'll... Uh, if you got stuff you want us to talk about on the show or any questions, any follow-up, that's where you can reach us, leave a message. We also want you to join in our conversation, either whenever you are listening um, on podcast or watching us on YouTube. You can join the conversation on the social mediums. Use the hashtag PTLive so that we can find your comments. And our wine sponsor is Wink Wine Club. That's W-I-N-C. Wink features superbly crafted wines, and they'll deliver them right to your door. And they'll sort it out according to your uh, flavor profile, your personal palate. And you can get started at trywink.com slash ptlive, and you'll get $20 off your first order. So check it out. Tonight, we ask, where does one find hope in a seemingly hopeless world? Uh, this question sort of coming off the heels of another mass shooting, this one in Texas at a church uh, over the past weekend. We ask, if guns did not yet exist, what good or necessary reason might we have for inventing them? And we're also, perhaps, if time allows, going to explore the concept of a spiritual libertarian. And fortunately, we have uh, someone on hand, a guest tonight, who can help us on all of those things. Reverend Kevin Bradley is a writer, speaker, and counselor specializing in spiritual approaches to stress management and addiction. He served as a hospital uh, and hospice chaplain for several healthcare organizations, including the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and the Mayo Clinic Health System. And you're going to like this. Kevin is ordained through the UCC, but also with ecclesiastical endorsement for chaplaincy from Unity. So Ogan and I both have an affinity to uh, Kevin's uh, ecclesiastical connection. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Happy to be here. 
And uh, tell us what uh, you might be drinking tonight on the show, if you care to uh, share. <laughs> uh, it's it's actually non-alcoholic. <laughs> it's it's just uh, juice of some kind, and uh, that that's actually one of my chosen spiritual practices is to not drink alcohol. There you go. There you go. And let's be clear. That's that's not a unity thing. That might that means some crazy UCC stuff. You. <laughs> 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 wow. Well, it is uh, happens not to be uh, a unity oh. or UCC thing, but a personal choice for Kevin. Uh, That's but... right. I forget your UCC, Brian. My mistake. What am I saying? Yeah, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you saying? So uh, I am Pastor Brian Burkoff, uh, pastor at Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan, uh, author of the book Pub Theology, Beer, Conversation, and God. Tonight I am drinking a Mandarina IPA. From Saugatuck Brewing uh, down the road here. And it is an IPA brewed with mango, orange, lemon, and lime. So a tasty offering uh, tonight. And then uh, we're missing one of our hosts. Tina's not with us this week. But Ogan, welcome. Thank you. Sounds like you're drinking a fruit basket. (laughs) I know, kind of. But a lot of hops. Yeah. Balance it out. This is why you don't drink IPAs. Because no matter what you put in that bottle with the IPA, all you taste is bitter. Bitter. All you taste is yum. It's bitter. Anyways, I am Reverend Ogan Holder, uh, Senior Minister at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Um, continuing to enjoy our balmy fall weather. It actually only got a little chilly today, but um, I am the author of Rants to Revelations, and tonight I am drinking uh, Lionel Kugel's Harvest Patch Shandy. Staying with the uh, fall oh fall theme here is that that's a pumpkin shandy is that what that is um you know there's a there's a picture of a pumpkin on a label but mm-hmm. i don't think they're claiming pumpkin in here all it says is uh brewed with honey and natural flavoring so oh, can, what are you tasting give us a take a sip and let us know what you're i will give you a taste um and in case you notice please do not say it tastes like pumpkin spice i do not want to see pumpkin <laughs> spice <laughs> i see her all no definitely not very pumpkiny but good flavor and yes a little a little little spiciness all right some not very very pumpkiny some false spices minus the pumpkin um so our opening question just to start us off on a light topic says um when is the right time to start listening to christmas music if there is such a time um, anytime after Thanksgiving. I would go along with that. Although I must say, uh, growing up in Barbados, um, our Independence Day is November 30th. We don't really observe Thanksgiving. So, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I think. So during the month of November, for us, it's very patriotic. Uh, lots of blue and yellow. That's the colors of our flag. And, um, and that stays up pretty much all the month and then literally overnight from november 30th to december 1 the place transforms into a tropical christmas wonderland um within the last few years we've had a couple weeks of both christmas decorations and independence decorations but um yeah every year it's getting earlier i'm sure the i'm sure the christmas music station has already been blasting for uh, a few weeks and i am beginning to see some uh 
some some ads for sales going up. Do you know that many places now the your Black Friday deals are already posted online and you can even get them some places and it's getting worse, man. It's getting mm. worse. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. A friend of mine who uh, actually is an atheist and really doesn't like Christmas music says his daughter likes to start with the Christmas music on October 1. So, no, oh, whoa, that's really early. That's a little too soon. How are you not burnt out? So, I, I would agree with the after, after Thanksgiving, I'm okay with some. And certainly once, you know, we're decorating the house or the tree, like then I want some Christmas music for that. But I don't need it all the time after Thanksgiving. Just mm -hmm. kind of sporadic and then maybe amping up as we get closer, uh, closer to Christmas Day. We should have Christmas music in like the spring because isn't that when Jesus was really born? There you go. Uh, I, I don't know if we know when Jesus was really born. I've heard fall. I've heard spring. I think we do. Do we? I think I we don't know. Well, we could know. have the conversation that whether if he existed, he probably was born in the spring. Boom. Yes. There we go. There we go. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, I'm actually going to start us with uh, the question of what is a spiritual libertarian, just because that's so intriguing to me and it gives us uh, a chance to hear a little bit from Kevin. So I didn't say this in the intro, but Kevin, uh, I believe, runs a Facebook group or page uh, called Spiritual Libertarians, and I'd just love you to tell us a little bit about that concept. Okay, yes, thank you. Uh, the group is brand new, actually. I just started it about uh, a week or two ago, so it's uh, in its infancy. Uh, coincidentally, I was introduced to libertarianism about the same time I was introduced to unity. I really cannot remember which one was first. I uh, just remember where I was at the time. And this was in Atlanta, Georgia, and a uh, talk show host there uh, is Neil Bortz, and he was big-time libertarian. Uh, he was co-author of a book about the fair tax, uh, which uh, crosses over to some libertarian circles. And as I mentioned, at the same time, I had discovered unity after some years of traveling in my own um, agnostic-slash-atheistic uh, wilderness. And I just heard Neil Bortz over and over and over again basically saying that anything done by government is ultimately done at the threat of violence. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? where are you coming off? And the instant analysis simply is that the government is the only entity that can legally take things from you. And one of the things is taxation. If you choose not to pay your taxes, they will arrest you. If you resist arrest, they have the authority to shoot you. And so taxation, many people call it voluntary, but it really isn't. It's being willing to pay your taxes is not the same thing as voluntarily paying your taxes. So that's kind of a whole rabbit trail there. But to me, the idea of spiritual libertarian is spirituality uh, having studied uh, most of the religious masters, um, to me, none of the religious teachers, spiritual teachers, ever talked about having the government fix your problems. Uh, in fact, if anything, the spiritual teachers, especially Jesus, uh, specifically said you should help each other directly. Yeah. And so that's part of it. Uh, Lao Tzu talked about the dangers of government. Um, one of the books that I read in seminary called The Powers That Be 
uh, was talking about um, power corrupting. And of course, there's a famous quote about power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, I dabble in Jungian psychology and I have come to the conclusion that power is probably the most corrupting thing there is and it feeds the ego that Jung would have said. And when you are elected or appointed to a position that gives you the power of the government, it's very, very difficult to turn that away. So the spiritual return for me is somebody who believes in things like justice, uh, believes in uh, sacrifice, uh, believes in compassion. I mean, I'm a chaplain after all, and does all those things. The libertarian part of me says the government shouldn't have anything to do with it. We can take care of each other, and the more we do so within our smaller communities, uh, I believe that if we vote for someone who will then tell our neighbor how we should help and who we should help, we lose the opportunity to be in direct community with the people that we should be helping instead. So I am just advocating for direct help for my community. You help who you want, and and there's, there's no reason why that cannot work. So a I very... Have- so many questions. <laughs> me too. Me too. So a, a very grassroots sort of uh, approach, right? Like, don't don't look to um, elected officials to sort of solve our problems. Let's take in hand what we can do right now with our own neighbors, with our own communities. Is that essentially correct? that's yes. Essentially, it is to me. It's about community, and that word means. It is a huge thing for me. And in order to be in community, to be in communion with each other, we must be in relationship with each other. So do you, through the government, we lose that opportunity. Do you follow any uh, Anabaptist uh, folks in terms of readings or teachings? I feel like in Anabaptist circles, there's a, also a sort of de-engage, you know, non-engagement with government, but kind of creating community? Uh, there have been. I, I don't follow any in particular. Uh, my my theology, frankly, is, is my own. I've done a lot of Native American studies. When I was working at uh, for the VA, I was a chaplain at the VA hospital in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I worked with, in the Native, with the Native American community there. When I was studying theology at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas, I was also spending every Sunday afternoon with a Buddhist monk from Thailand. Um, who taught me the right way to meditate. Um, so, yeah, I just, I follow and I do, and I meditate. I'm, meditation and, and uh, abstaining from alcohol are my two uh, spiritual practices. But no, I don't follow any particular Anabaptist. Uh, so so here's, my, here's my first of many questions. Um, <laughs> why can't we have the both end? Because I do agree with you 100% about the community piece. And I think that's, a lot of why we've gotten ourselves into a lot of the state of where we're at. I think that's why we have um, a lot of these acts of violence, whether it be gun violence or otherwise, I think because we're not, we've lost touch on how to look out for support each other, care for each other. Um, We've become, I I, I think the, uh, technology and capitalistic trends of us have contributed to that as well. We've become a very 
me culture instead of a we culture. So I agree with you 100% on that point. But it seemed, you're seeming to imply that that can't coexist, coexist with a government when, but you speak of government as if it is a foreign entity. Government is people. So I'm not worried. For, for me, government is a system of how people get together to, um, to on, a, on a much larger scale than the community level, ultimately, the intention is for us to take care of each other. And then you have the fact that we are a nation that exists and there are other nations. How do we then be in relationship with the other nations? So for me, the difference between our uh, looking after each other as neighbors and community is just a scalability. You know, and and we need to like any organization. As you scale up, you've got to have different sets of policies and procedures for organization. So that's how I view government, and I think it can and should coexist with that uh, the the aspect of community togetherness and looking out for each other. Um. Okay. I agree with you. So what is your essential question as to why I don't think government and c private no, communities can coexist? Why, so do you, it, um, for me, and if I'm mistaken about this, correct me, but it seems that the libertarian philosophy, as I've read it online and as you described it just now, says we shouldn't have or don't need government because government takes from us. Okay. And just like there's a wide yeah, there's a wide spectrum, for instance, of uh, theological beliefs within unity. There's a wide spectrum of theological beliefs in the UCC. Uh, you can't say that if you've seen one Republican, you've seen them all any more than you can say that about a Democrat. Sure. There are many stripes of libertarians. In fact, there is an ongoing debate within libertarianism. Um, is it better to have no government or small government? Into the debate. No libertarian would advocate for a uh, an all-inclusive, powerful government. Most of libertarians that I know of, uh, whether they consider themselves spiritual or not, and that's kind of a different topic uh, in that particular conversation, but most libertarians that I know will most often quote Thomas Jefferson when he said, the government governs best that governs the least. Now, I want to make it clear, I am not totally opposed to the idea of government, I simply prefer it to be as small as possible. And one thing that many Americans don't understand is if you think about our European allies, compare the ge geographic size of, of uh, even a state as uh, a nation as, as big as Germany. That would fit into a very small part of America. So if all of, if the true United States were to each separate and have their own individual governments, it would be more like Europe where each state has its own rules. I'm all for California seceding. I'm all for Texas seceding. I'm all for every single state seceding because I don't believe that Californians should be told by somebody from Massachusetts what they can eat or drink. As a Minnesotan, formerly, I don't believe anybody from Washington, D.C. has a clue what my problems are. So I actually vacillate on this. I, there's no purpose whatsoever for federal government other than to um, 
uh, defend our borders against foreign enemies. Now, if if uh, our country, for some reason, were to suddenly split in half, east and west of the Mississippi, for example, that to me seems logical, Western America's borders would suddenly be the Mississippi River. And so, you know, the, the local National Guard, local militia, then their job would be to defend us against those, you know, potential enemies, but foreign and domestic, as they say. So uh, I, the vacillation for me is whether or not any government is necessary, much less having a federal government. But don't we kind of have that set up already, though? Because, I mean, as, as a person who comes from another country, this is the thing that I, my poor brain still has trouble wrapping its head around. We got federal laws, we have state laws, which often butt up against each other. Um, and... And there's always this confusion, I think, to your point. A good example would be where we are now with uh, marijuana. You know, some some states have legalized marijuana to varying degrees, but it's still illegal at at the federal level. The federal government is not, you know, invading these states with, you know, with the National Guard to, like, swoop down on pot shops. So, so it, it, you know, it's... It's for me. I I don't know that I have a question here, other than doesn't that exist at some level already? Uh, yes, and that's probably part of the issue is that the states do have their own uh, form of government. But you mentioned marijuana. I lived in Denver for a while, and I happened to live there uh, when marijuana was just starting to be legalized, and it was an interesting thing that they quickly spread uh, within the community. Yes, you can have marijuana in your home in Denver, but if you take the main thoroughfare through downtown Denver and get caught on that road, it's a federal highway. And so depending on where you are in Denver, you can still be arrested. So depending if you were on the interstate, it's a federal crime. Even though you may be on your way from work to home, you can still be arrested because it's a federal crime and you're on a federal highway. That just means you don't know how to hide your stash properly, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> right. But you, you actually raise an interesting issue. Why should the people of one state have the right to gather enough votes to tell somebody in another state whether or not they can have marijuana or anything else? I happen to be an advocate for complete decriminalization of all drugs. I think it's a public health issue, not a criminal issue treat addicts as as addicts not as criminals i think we'd be much better off so some would say then that where we are with our gun violence now is also approaching a public health issue given the amount of gun deaths we have in our country and i just don't mean from mass shootings because when you actually look at the numbers mass shootings when it comes to gun deaths are actually like among the lowest number they grab the headlines because of you know how many how many numbers of people are killed in one moment by one person generally. So it grabs the headlines, but actually the, the greatest lives lost through gun violence are suicide. Um, and, and guns do kill a lot of more people than many diseases that we have in our country. So can we make the argument that it's now crossed over into a public health issue or is that, or is that a little reach into you think? 
I think it absolutely is a public health issue, but I think the whole thing about uh, domestic gun violence is a straw man argument. I think the bigger problem is that the single biggest cause of death is our government through the military. Okay, say more. Uh, well, uh, a true libertarian would say that um, we have absolutely no reason to have troops overseas, ever. Uh, we have no reason uh, invading other countries uh, unless they are clear and present danger and have shown proof of it, not this you know, first strike attitude. Uh, the response to that often is accusing libertarians of being isolationist. Uh, but I say, no, I, we're still in, in trade with other countries, meddling in their military affairs. Why are we paying for Japan's defense? Why are we paying for Germany's defense? Why do we have bases in other countries? The bottom line is because we are an empire. And I don't agree that we should be an empire. Uh, you, you muted, Brian. Brian, Brian, if you're talking, you're muted. Unmute. Oh, I'm muted. Yeah. Hey. I mean, it Whoa. was good when it lasted, but it yeah. was. Yeah, you were enjoying that. No wonder. <laughs> no wonder you guys were having such a good conversation. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was like, why is Brian so quiet over there? <laughs> I was saying some things, and apparently, you guys were just good without me. So, all, yeah. all good. So. In response to Ogan, um, and I agree with you, by the way, on our overreach of military. Uh, amen to that. But in and response I, to Ogan, and I third, I third that. I, I third that. I do agree with that as well. Although, for me, okay. part of that is yep. also a scalability thing about now we're global neighbors and a global community. So, how do we support our global neighbors? But go ahead, Brian. Yeah. So, my question is uh, Ogan asked about gun violence as a public health issue and you you know properly noted that our military kills far more people than uh, are killed by um gun violence uh at home but that doesn't make it not a real issue for us in our nation particularly if you look at other developed nations if you look at the amount of guns that are uh, present in our country which far outpaces any other uh, first world nation and the amount of gun deaths also uh, per capita, I believe, leads the world in the United States. So it is a real issue. Uh, I don't think it has to be either or. Uh, I, I agree that both are problematic. I agree that gun violence is an issue because I agree that violence is an issue. Yeah. Yes. I don't believe that we should be focusing on guns. I think we should be focusing on the causes of the violence. So that's one of the reasons I teach stress management uh, and, and things like that, um, and anger management, uh, proper uses of anger and that, and that kind of thing. Um, until about a year ago, I have never owned a gun. The only reason I own a gun now is because I have it by default, just because I'm keeping it for somebody. I don't hunt. Um, I do not believe the Second Amendment has anything to do with hunting, nor does it have anything to do with defending oneself against the occasional random, random uh, uh, criminal who's going to come to my home. The right. Second Amendment was explicitly written to allow private citizens defense against the government. To take a hard line about this, I will jump on the gun control bandwagon as soon as the military stands down and the police don't have weapons. Ooh, well, boy, 
That is a hard fair line. point. <laughs> fair point. I mean, I'm I'm not opposed to any of that. I I agree that we are way too weaponized as a society, uh, and I think. Um, but I yeah, do, I agree. I, Let, let's 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 uh, unweaponize on all fronts. I I I well I agree. I agree. We don't need we don't need guns except that. Um, again, this comes down to like a both and thing. Um, yes, let's look at the root causes of violence. Yes, the, you know, to, to all the things that you've been working on, Kevin, with, you know, stress management, PTSD, uh, you know, conflict resolution, all those things, um, domestic violence. Yeah, absolutely. We approach, we approach all those things. But we can't deny the fact that because of the ease of which it takes to obtain a gun and the proliferation of gun ownership in our country, that we see we see the disproportionate gun violence that we see because of easy access when someone does get angry, when someone does want to seek revenge. Um, you know, it's it's uh, I. I, it almost sounds like, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. There's an either-or approach as um, the sentiment that you hold, as opposed to a both-and. Why can't we do both? And and I think, and I think to say that, um, in, in its pure sense, in terms of gun ownership, sure, if we can own all the guns that we currently own and not have the gun deaths that we do, whether it be a mass shooting, a suicide, accident, then I would say we, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. But we can't seem to have the two at the same time. And, and when we look at the statistics, when we look at, um, you know, I have some stats that I looked up, when we look at states that, that did enact some um, stricter, you know, if we don't want to use gun word gun control, uh, sensible gun safety laws, um, and things like that, there is a decrease in the number of deaths. There's a decrease in the amount of, of gun violence. So I, I think there is a correlation here that, that we shouldn't ignore when it comes to, to numbers. I mean, the numbers speak for itself. Well, uh, yes and no. Um, I learned a long time ago that you can use the same statistics to argue both sides of an issue. And if you look at some of the highest crime rates in the country, uh, Washington, D.C., for example, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, those things are happening in areas that already have some of the strictest gun control laws there are. Uh, the answer is not the answer clearly is not controlling the guns. And recently, social media has been talking about, well, look at Australia. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, um, gun-related homicides were already declining before they did their gun confiscation thing. They continue to do so uh, after that at about the same rate. And what most people don't know is that New Zealand also was dropping in its gun homicide rate, and it did not have the massive buyback. So that whole thing about the Australia model, that's another straw man argument. As to directly answer your question about why can't it be an and rather than an or, to me it's where you're focusing your attention and it's the, the media is about dividing us, the media is about um, distraction. 
And quite frankly, we are spending in, um, you know, this amount of time talking about gun violence. We'd be better off trying to get uh, drugs uh, decriminalized. If I, I happen to believe that if we were to completely decriminalize all drugs, that gun violence would drastically reduce. Uh, be reduced because most most deaths in the uh, drug world are because of the violence associated with the criminal aspect of it, the fact that it's illegal. And Al Capone would have been nothing but a two-bit thug if alcohol had not been um, uh, prohibited for a while. Same thing is happening now. Hmm. Um, I have a lot of friends in the military, uh, both from uh, my work in the VA hospital. Uh, my son was in Afghanistan. And, ha and still is connected there. Um, I am a bona fide conspiracy nut, and I believe that one of the most current conspiracies is that the reason that we will never get out of Afghanistan is because the opium uh, traffic funds our government, uh, at, at least a large part of it, and the CIA is in control of it. Again, it's why are we over there? So it, it's the reason I don't want to do an and thing is because we need to focus where things will do the most good. And gun control is simply a straw man argument. That's not the problem. And I well, speak to this, but what about, what about, Go ahead. what about suicides? Um, and the reason I ask this is because uh, uh, the lead in the lead in uh, or the highest number of gun fatalities is a result of suicide. And again, yep. and again, you know, I, 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 I do agree or, or uh, your arguments about uh, Australia and New Zealand. Yes, those, those facts do hold up. But again, we're talking about numbers here. So for, 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 for every 100 people in the United States, there's about 80 guns. 101, actually. Um, there's At what? least what I read. Um, so, so there's, there's almost a gun for every person. I mean, no, it's, I mean, we're, we're talking averages here, of course. I mean, there are three of us here on this conversation, um, only, you know, and none of us are, like you said, Kevin, you don't own a gun, you're keeping off someone, none of us own a gun. So it's not a straight one-to-one -one ratio. So we're talking averages here, but, mm -hmm. you know, the next closest country is, you know, we Switzerland, and it's like less than half of that. So again, when we look at these numbers, one of the reasons they say that suicides by guns are so high is because the plur how easy it is to get a gun and the sheer number of guns out there because people who like kill themselves with guns even if it's not their gun they know someone who has a gun and can get the gun so my question is this. so one would argue that if someone wants to kill themselves they're gonna find a way but there's also statistics to show that the harder it is to the harder it is to get access to um easy death weapons for lack of a better term you know suicide rates drop they're 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 so so i hear what you're saying but again why if not you have to rig up a rope in a chair maybe it's not worth it <laughs> i'm saying that sometimes <laughs> sometimes the hooks in the ceiling don't hold and right. you know it becomes a lot of it becomes a lot of work again for me it's 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 that both and let's let's approach it from the community the spiritual the the mental health side but also realize that just the sheer numbers and the ease with which someone can own a weapon that was purely designed 
you know, for death, uh, is is part of the problem as well. Sure, and, and let me look at that two ways. First of all, um, as as a mental health chaplain, I was specifically assigned to two mental health uh, locked wards uh, at the VA hospital, and again at another hospital where I was dealing with uh, suicidal patients on a daily basis. And you're absolutely right that the occasional suicide is the result of easy access to whatever method. Um, I do not have an answer for that, but I also don't believe that screaming gun control and instantly thinking that that's gonna be the, the solution, I keep coming back to a straw man argument. I believe that those who want the government to have more power are those who are behind the scenes pulling the strings of the gun control advocacy crowd. The, um, the other question is, okay, how many guns do we need? Who makes that decision? I, 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 agree, with your earlier point. I agree with your earlier point, Kevin, zero, like, Nobody, I think at this point of where we are as a society, nobody needs guns because I, I think we've reached a point where we've realized uh, whether whether we agree politically, philosophically, religiously, whatever, you know, taking lives is not going to solve that. What's going to solve that is discourse. The thing, the thing I admire about this country and, and most developed countries is peaceful transition of power. Um, so, you know, one party or, or, I mean, look at our most recent election, despite the, you know, the general response to, or any election rather, you know, it's always been a very closely divided race, which means this country is generally, when it, we go to the, the polling booth, we're divided. But we still accept a peaceful transition of power. Um, we don't. We don't have someone being elected that we don't like, and you know, we go. You know, we we go put guns on the sides of trucks and and and, and invade take our militia right down to yeah. DC. We don't take our personal militia and go get them and 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 stage coups. We don't, we don't do that anymore. You know, we're. I think we've developed past that. So. So then I and also I don't think that we're worried about any uh or or, or government invading us. Uh, you talk about straw man, this idea that the government will come and take our guns is also a straw man thing. That's that's not happening. And I don't think anyone needs to worry about that happening because at this point the government knows that if it tries to invade and take our guns, given how many guns we have, it's gonna be all at war. And nobody wants that. So you know. I totally agree with you there. There are so many people who, you know, uh, if if the if there was some federal mandate that we're going to come and get your guns, then there will be a civil war. And I believe there are enough people with guns that the civil war would last about an hour. Could and, be interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for an and, hour. Right, but I, I I guess I I come back to individual liberty. You know, the core of a libertarian theology. Yeah. I don't happen to think that I personally need a gun, but I will argue with my last breath that you have the right to have as many guns as you feel that you need. So as to who needs guns, that's not for me to say. If you think you need a gun, 
then you have the right to have a gun. And I hope that both of my neighbors own a tank so that I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so, wow. I, so I no. So basic on, on the basic level of, of what you just said, I agree. The, I, I will defend the other person's right to have, and, 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 and we can make this argument for any number of situations. However, does there come a point when we have to ask ourselves, oh, this, while that holds true, does too many of us have in any one thing that is pretty much proven to be destructive, a, a public health issue, do we still have the right at what point? And you're right, who's to say, but this is why we have the, the discourse. So you talk about individual, let's look at collective collective opinion so when it comes to things like uh so pew research poll okay so there's not a government poll it's pew research poll um when asked across the board are we talking about people on both sides on all sides of the political aisle and fences about things like strengthening background checks and preventing the mentally ill from buying guns and um Background checks, for example, strengthening background check laws, both gun owners and non-gun owners, Republicans, Democrats, however you want to label people, overwhelmingly, we're talking like high 90s percent, believe that that's a good thing. We're not saying get rid of guns. We're just saying let's have stronger background check laws. But we've not had any movement towards this in Congress. So to your point earlier, Yes, I, uh, the people in government aren't listening to their constituents who say, we want these things, and these are all constituents saying this. So, so to your, I think to your point about um, where government is failing us, but at the same time, whose government? It's us people. So at what point do we people say, hey, this government's no longer working for us, so let us go do something about this in terms of the proper electoral process. And, and because it's now become an issue that we're all in danger of. We used to think there were safe zones in this country where things like mass shootings wouldn't happen. A small backwater, sorry, that's the wrong term, out of the way town in Texas <laughs> in a church on a Sunday morning, like the last place I think people would expect something like that to happen. So it's like, no, we're safe now. It's a public health issue. So does... Yeah, and I, I think one of the reasons that we aren't so safe anymore is because there are too many gun-free zones. When I walk into a, to a building that says, we do not allow guns in here, I don't want to spend much time in there because I know that only criminals will have guns in that building. Uh, because the criminals don't care about the laws. They're going to get the guns anyway. The people who are prone to violence are going to be violent, no matter how you look at it. Um, I've worked with too many uh, suicide survivors and families of suicide victims. Uh, you know, the whole thing about um, the accidental deaths. I mean, that's a lot of different conversation points. But for me, it always comes back down to, as we started this thing, you know, the sense of community. If I, if I knew that I had to depend on my next door neighbor, literally. I would get to know that neighbor. Yeah. And then we would trust each other. 
neither one of us would have any reason to have a gun. We would trust each other. Now, mind you, we might buy each other a gun for Christmas you know, and go something, you know, for food. But what a lot of people don't know is that before the late 1800s, churches and private charities actually were helping more people per populace than the government is doing today. There were fewer homeless people before FDR than after. When the government came in and started taking over charities, the charities folded up. Uh, back in the day, your fraternities, your organizations, some of them are still around. Uh, the Lions Club, you know, eyeglasses. There are a lot of nonprofit hospitals that are completely funded. Uh, St. Jude's is one that comes to mind. The fact of the matter is that private charities have always worked better than the government. So that's not talking about the gun control issue, but the real problem is if we can agree that we should be in direct community with each other, and that the government, that we don't need the government to tell us how to do that. If we can agree on that, then we can agree that we should have a smaller government. And that would be one step towards, one step to closer towards libertarians saying, now you see the picture. We can take care of each other. We will be in community with each other. And when we are in community with each other, we won't need guns. Uh, I, can, I can agree with that point. I can agree with that point about uh, greater need for community, and in a weird way, and in a weird way, uh, back to uh, you know one of the original questions of our discussion about, or at least one we may be getting to about about what gives us hope, is that I think there's um, I am witnessing at least a renewed sense of that, given um, given the 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 increase in violence, gun and otherwise that we're seeing in our country today. People are realizing that this is part of the issue and um, there seems to be more of an effort of how can we create things to get people to reconnect with each other. Um, and, I totally agree with you. And, 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 and the best thing you mentioned, the election to me, the best thing as a libertarian was for Donald Trump to win, not because he was a Republican, but because he was an outsider. Now, turns out he's not that much of an outsider because obviously he doesn't know what he's doing in a lot of aspects and so he relies on republican insiders to make decisions for him so now I, there were unfortunately a lot of libertarians who said they wanted trump well really that that would just mean they didn't want hillary right and so a lot of libertarians today are saying okay we've done it again well, anytime you vote for Democrat or Republican, you are actually voting for the, Demo the, the two-party system. Right. And neither party has done anything to reduce overseas military, has done anything. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've heard about all the accusations about uh, um, Obama and the, the drone strikes of innocent mm -hmm. children in Pakistan and all those kinds of things. Yep, well, sure. folks, they're still happening. Yep. Uh, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't think we've had a decent man in the white house probably since um thomas jefferson quite frankly <laughs> well i will i do agree with you about 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 our size of our military and and the spending it is it is atrocious um and i think we would really solve pretty much all these countries problems if we 
cut the military budget in half, use that money internally, we'd still be ahead of all one eighth. <laughs> Forget one half. Cut, cut it, it down cut to it an half, eighth or a or a now I, I I'm actually gonna call you call your bluff on that one, Ogan. Yeah. I agree by cutting the military budget, I would cut it down to maybe one eighth, but rather than spend the money internally, give it back to the people and let them spend it the way they want to. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Give it give it to give it to organizations. Um, and give it to communities, community organizations. That's what I mean as, as as well. Not just not just the federal government saying this is what we're gonna do, but but kind of on the same thing. So I want to ask a theological right. question now. Um, okay. So so uh, this this has been a question circulating in in uh, this online minister like uh, Facebook discussion group um, about guns as weapons of basically death and destruction. I mean, that's basically what a gun is. I don't know what other use it has. Is it incompatible with Christian theology, which is one about, you know, love thy neighbor, one about not killing? Um, is it incompatible? And I think question. It's, it's a question I want to talk about. I don't, I don't think it's any less compatible than a sword was in Jesus' day. A sword can be used to kill a neighbor or a sword can be used to, to, uh, to butcher an animal and share it in a communion meal. Uh, today, I can use a gun to, uh, to hunt uh, my f uh, food, and uh, I'm not a hunter. I'll go to the grocery store and do my hunting. Uh, but I also know that my son has gone hunting with my brother, and it's a wonderful uncle-nephew relationship. That is their bond is through that. Okay, and, hang, on, hang on. I want to jump in on your hunting and food analogy. You can't prepare the food with a gun. A knife and sword, you can kill the animal. You can, you can, you can, you can dress it. it. You, can, you can prepare it to eat. With a gun, okay. you can't do anything past shoot the animal. Uh, so, so that's true. Yeah. So I suggest you take a gun and a knife. <laughs> I knew it. I knew that was. Good. I suggest you get rid of the gun and hunt the old-fashioned <laughs> way. Get some spears. And I'll tell you what. And 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 maybe full circle here. I will totally jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> Personally, if I were to take up hunting, I would do bow hunting because I think there's an elegance about it. Yeah. yeah. As the as long as the military and the police have semi-automatics then I want my neighbor to have a semi-automatic too. And I don't care whether he ever goes hunting with it or not. I just want to know he's got them. Would you want your neighbor to have surface-to-air uh, missiles or nuclear weapons, uh, given the government has those as well? Sure, why not? Because <laughs> I don't so, want radiation. That, that's a level of, of chaos and anarchy I'm not quite ready for. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, 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 hear... I try to consistent i have been accused more than once of letting my ideology drive me and i say yes that's why i'm a chaplain and not a politician <laughs> so back to the theological question though uh yep. you said it's no more yeah. untheological than swords and spears in jesus time jesus uh, right. and his disciples were not the ones who wielded the swords and spears one um and again i think that's i think that's removing oneself from the context of, um, you know, if I if I have a sword or a machete, I'm not taking out 27 people 
in in two minutes. Like I, I can't do that. It's a matter of scalability. At what point does the scalability become an issue? And if we truly say, you know, that part of our whatever spectrum of the Christian theology we are on, any religious theology really in its pure sense um, abhors the taking of life, again, does own in a weapon that is designed to take life incompatible with that. Okay, and, let me let me let me turn back so we get talking get off of the weapons of mass destruction thing for example. <laughs> Let's just say that uh, would it be okay with you if every person were limited to one gun? Abs yes. Okay. If I choose to have a handgun and an open carry and have it with me wherever I go, would that be okay? I'm waiting for the as long as nobody has any weapons I, of mass construction. I don't like questions and stages. I want the full question before you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where you're. I'm not sure exactly where are we where are you leading this train. But no, I don't. I don't. I guess I the question mean, is who makes the decision and who get who has the right to decide how many is enough. So I'm going to answer. Well, that's that. the question of community, I think. Yeah. And we're a nation that's yes disparate, yes across a lot of states. Yet we're a community that elects people who make. Uh, lo make laws that help us live in community together. So some nations decide, yeah, you can have one gun or none. And as I see it, they have a lot less issues of gun violence than we do. So I, I don't think it's impossible that we could make positive moves uh, via the government on this issue. Okay, and now I'm going to push another button. What is a community? We talk about voting and the electoral processes and things like that. We do not live in a democracy. We are not supposed to live in a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. And I mentioned Neil Bortz. Uh, he, he described a democracy as two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for lunch. <laughs> the purpose of the Constitution was not majority to decide what's good for the community. The purpose of the Constitution was to defend the rights of the individual. And so I always come back to individual liberty. If you leave me alone on my own, I will help you. Possible, perhaps even likely, that some neighbor won't. I said absolutely. There are probably some people who want to be left alone, never, never going to help you. Fine, that they can do that. Uh, I happen to believe that we are. Uh, my research has told me that we are living in the most peaceful time in all of recorded history. And that we are by nature um, a very giving species. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 like I heard that. those yeah. things. And so, if Deepak Chopra, um, I taught a class based on his book, The Third Jesus, and I heard an interview with him talking about that book when he was citing a recent study that showed children of all ages will naturally their toys and even their food as long as their own sense of safety is not threatened. Right. That is our nature. Well, what is the single biggest threat to your safety? It's the only one that can do so with impunity. And that's the government. The government. Mm, Texas. But isn't, the, isn't, but, but isn't that really an imagined threat? Because I don't feel threatened by my government. I don't. Why, why do I feel why should I feel threatened? And I am okay with paying my taxes because I pay my taxes. My roads get paved. You know, I don't have to pay the, the fire department out of my pocket if there's a fire in my house. 
uh, you know, I, th there's a lot of services that are provided yeah. for me by my local government and my state government and my federal government because I pay my taxes. Now, one could argue left, right, center about the amount and how much and how often and if they spend it wisely, but but I don't feel threatened by my government. For me, it's it's it comes down to, you know, back to, I think, what you're alluding to, Kevin, and Einstein's greatest question, are we going to trust that this is a benevolent universe or not? And and ultimately, I do. And at the same time, I, I don't want to, like, put the blinders on and say, well, I trust this benevolent universe, and but there's a lot of evidence out here telling me that maybe, you know, there, there, there's something we can't ignore in, uh, given our time. Well, going back to Jungian psychology, and I'm not 100% Jungian on this, but I do believe that there will always be an expression of the shadow side. Oh, absolutely. And I, I did hear a Jungian uh, psychologist uh, and professor say that one of the reasons why we have terrorism today the way it is Oh, we have much less violence. And so the violence that we do see is going to be more dramatic. Either way, the shadow will reveal itself in some way. Now, I counter that argument with, yes, but it doesn't have to do it to the same extent it did 2,000 years ago, because I do believe that we are gradually becoming more enlightened as a, as a global community. Yeah. It's not happening anywhere near as fast as we would like. I mean, think back to the 1960s. Wasn't that supposed to be the age of Aquarius? I mean, we should have been, you know, in 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 hovercrafts now, and and uh, you know, all that kind well, of we, stuff. So we certainly didn't have a, as much gun violence and death then. So, <laughs> so well, I would actually argue that we we had um, in the 60s they had this very violent thing called the Vietnam War. Uh, there were there were just as many gun deaths, uh, and then before that, the prohibition with alcohol, uh, the St. Valentine's Day massacre. I mean, there. Are, I think we have had gun deaths going back. I think we have fewer gun deaths per populace globally now, but more importantly, we have fewer deaths per populace period now because mm. we are evolving as a species. Yeah, I think that's, and that's, that's my hope. I think that's true, and I, I do appreciate your focus on community and on um, allowing people to own their own lives and to seek um, their own well-being and their communal well-being as best they're able. Uh, but I also agree with you that we do have a shadow side that does express itself, and given that we have a shadow side should we have as many weapons as possible available to people whose shadows want to use them? I mean, I agree that it's multifaceted, that there's mental health issues, that there's know your neighbor issues. But while we're working through those, why do we need all these weapons lying around that are very convenient to someone whose shadow want, you know, needs to trigger to pull? All right, so let me answer that in this way. Because I don't want people to feel the need for guns, it is my responsibility as a spiritual person to be in community with other people and to share the idea that we don't have to hurt each other. We don't have to do this. The unity idea and the, at least the theology that I'm comfortable with on the left side of the UCC is we are all connected. We are all one. And that is what I teach. Mm. And if 
if we can understand that we are all connected, there will be no reason to have the guns at all. And I think people will, at that time, they will voluntarily beat their swords into plowshares. Until then, I do not have the right to beat your sword into a plowshare, <laughs> plowshare if you personally feel threatened. My Fair job enough. is to help you figure out why you feel threatened. And if it's a third party, let's go be in relationship with that person and, and do it on a soul level, not through taxation and government. That's, that's pretty well said, my friend. Pretty well said. I think we're getting close to our hour here. Uh, Did you ever answer the theological question, though? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I'm, just, I'm kidding. Listen, there's a lot of questions yet to be asked. And I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we all, you know, have more questions we'd like to, uh, to ask and, and wrestle with here. This has been fantastic, send me, Kevin. Send me, a, send me a question to RevKev at chaplainslog.com. There we go. Any listeners want to engage Kevin directly, you can do so that way. Kevin, thank you for joining us. This has been a ton of fun. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed meeting you, Brian and Ogan. It's good to see you again, my friend. Good to see you too. And I do, and I do want to tell you, I do appreciate uh, uh, on Facebook how how you it, you always engage me um, and and make me think. And I think your 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 questions. Um, you know, often when we interact on Facebook, there, there are some of, I think my friends who, who, who are, who, who are ready to just like jump all over you. And I have to find myself like defending you sometimes <laughs> saying like, you know, but, but, but this is, but to your point about again, community, we're never going to get closer if we don't spend more time engaging in dialogue with everyone. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Especially, not just everyone, but especially the ones who write at the on face value, we may not agree with. Because when you say someone is Democrat, Republican, or Libertarian, we assume so much about that person and we make them the enemy. And you know what? I've agreed with like, I don't know, 88% of what you said tonight. You know, we can, we can. <laughs> You know that twelve percent. So you're so you're so you're eighty eight percent libertarian. No, I didn't say that. Did not say that. Nice, nice. Well, this has been a delightful conversation, and I think some great uh, pushback in uh, several directions. And so, thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. Please connect and spread the word on social media. Remember, you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or iTunes. Please rate us in those venues. That helps uh, other people find us. If you'd like to have a conversation like this in your town where people of varying views can sit down and engage the issues in a safe uh, environment, go to pubtheology.com slash directory. And if you don't see a group near you, you'll find instructions to help you start your own. Thank you again to our sponsors, Wink Wine Club, who you'll find at trywink.com slash ptlive and casualpriest.com. Until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. I do have one last question, though. You've got more questions. Okay. 
one last question. So, so um, to agree with your point about um, the the I guess not corruption, but the when people succumb to to that power in government, especially at the highest levels, and you know we elect people from you know Republican Democrat, and they pretty much all end up being the same for the most part. Um, yep. Um, so we want so so you're advocating for definitely more local leadership at the you know local level, town level, state level, but then there's still leaders involved there. Where do you see at the leadership level that corruption really starts to kick in? Can a local leader be corrupted? Can a state leader be corrupted or town leader? Sure. I think anybody at any level can be corrupted, but I think they're more likely to be held accountable by the people who know them. Okay. And they're less likely to be corrupted, you know, beyond redemption um, if they are local. I mean, I mentioned earlier that we compare federal elections. Well, if each of our United States were truly an independent nation, like they would be over in, you know, Europe. Okay. So here in, uh, Right now, I happen to be in, in Missouri. Okay, well, has there ever been any corruption at the state level of Missouri? Because that would be comparable to the national level of a country the same size as Missouri, but it just happens to not be in the United States. There are, what's the smallest country? Is it still Luxembourg? Um, that, you know, how big is Luxembourg? Okay, let's just say it's probably the same size as a, I don't know, Atlanta, Georgia. Well, that's probably too big, actually. Um, but pick a city, Memphis, Tennessee, out of out of the blue. The size of Memphis, Tennessee's population might be the same size as some country. The leader of the government in Memphis is just as likely to be corrupted as the mayor of of any other town. So to me, it's it's not the level of government. It keeps coming back to, are you in community with them? So on that accountability level, though, do you think how we things like social media and uh, uh, mass communication, how we are now in uh, can see everything or easy communicate with everything going on in the world, that now accountability at the higher levels is actually um, easier than at the local level? And I use the example of, you know, yes, when when word gets out about you know some politician or some some celebrity behaving badly we're looking at all these sexual scandals that are coming out now you know at the local level people may have known about these things but either not said or the word didn't get out i'll use the example of kevin spacey you know the actor who you know people said his behavior on set you know making sexual advances to inappropriate sexual advances towards people was not unknown but it's only when it hit the national scope now and there was the public condemnation on this mat on this white scale level that all of a sudden something's being done about it same with harvey weinstein you know so so doesn't it doesn't it play both ways the accountability can happen on a large scale as well and i think it needs to oh sure and and i think uh if it wasn't for uh social media i mean well, what would they call the arab spring Right. Yeah. That was only possible because because of Facebook and whatnot. I personally uh, believe that back in the day, uh, the single biggest purpose um, for unions 
was to give the voice, to give a voice to every worker. Well, now we've got social media. I don't need somebody else speaking for me. So what is my union doing for me? Uh, so I think unions have, in a large degree, um, outlived their usefulness. I think they were wonderful when they came out, but we now have more efficient methods to do the same thing. And I, one thing I love about Facebook and, and about all the social media is the fact that it is a community and more often communication. So, so I have a question before we let you go. You noted early on that uh, power corrupts and that that's one of the reasons you consider yourself a, a libertarian. And as a spiritual libertarian, does that mean that you prefer small churches or even house churches? Or how would you apply that to the institutional life of the church? Uh, wow. Um, I... I I think every church size has their purpose. I mean, we've all gone through seminary and we've taken the congregational leadership classes and talk about the family church and the program church and all that. And every one of them serves a different purpose. And to me, the size, what are what is the good they're doing in the community? I always go back to whatever scripture it is, is just look at the fruit. Yeah. You know, what what is the what is the community doing, whatever its size? Um, you know, you can make an argue, argument that St. Teresa did far more than uh, Jim Baker, any nationwide thing, but a that's lot a, of people could, a, could... That's a, that's a bad example. He was a nut job. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, saying, I yeah, mean, you know, would, you, would you be more suspicious of, people, of a megachurch? Of a what? Of a megachurch. Would you be more leery of that? Because, a, you know, a celebrity pastor of a megachurch, it seems to me, has a lot more power than a pastor of a, you know, 300 or less person congregation. I think it's, again, this is a scalability issue. And I think this is what uh, Kevin is alluding to in the libertarian philosophy is alluding to. It's a scalability issue. And as you scale up, you know, it comes with, it's, it comes with a different set of inherent problems, dangers, temptations. And if you don't opportunities, right. And if you, and opportunities, but if you don't evolve your, your 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 procedures, your policies, your agreements of how you're going to be with each other as yeah. you scale up. There's gonna be issues, right? But you know, and and to counter that, I don't think that means we shouldn't scale up. I think we just got to do a better job of yeah. doing it. There there are little churches that do great good and do horrible things. There are mega churches that do great good and do horrible things. I'm talking about you, Creflo Dollar, looking for your new jet plane. Like you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. right. You know, you raised you raised a very interesting point. If I could create my own utopian society, I would not care if there were one megachurch controlling all the charities in the country doing the work that the government tries to do now. As long what? as the as long as we are only doing so voluntarily. Because the okay. church doesn't have the power to put you in jail for not tithing your 10%. I would say, but this is a church that has, you know, F1s and nuclear weapons at this point. If it's one church controlling all the charities, <laughs> I would be just as leery of that as I would be of the government. Well, fortunately, I don't think that day is coming anytime soon. No, no, no. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, thought exercise. All wow. right. This has been great. Thanks, guys. We're good. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it, man. What fun. Yeah. All right. Take care.